0: SECTION 60 OF THE HISTORY OF CHEMISTRY. THIS IS A LIBRIVOX RECORDING. ALL LIBRIVOX RECORDINGS ARE IN THE PUBLIC DOMAIN. FOR MORE INFORMATION, OR TO VOLUNTEER, PLEASE VISIT LIBRIVOX.ORG. RECORDING BY LISA McCLESKIE. THE HISTORY OF CHEMISTRY BY THOMAS THOMPSON. VOLUME 2, CHAPTER 4, PART 6. There is another branch of investigation intimately connected with analytical chemistry the improvements in which have been attended with great advantage both to mineralogists and chemists i mean the use of the blowpipe to make a kind of miniature analysis of minerals in the dry way so far at least as to determine the nature of the constituents of the mineral under examination this is attended with many advantages as a preliminary to a rigid analysis by solution. By informing us of the nature of the constituents, it enables us to form a plan of the analysis beforehand, which in many cases saves the trouble and the tediousness of two separate analytical investigations. For when we set about analyzing a mineral, of the nature of which we are entirely ignorant, two separate sets of experiments are in most cases indispensable. We must examine the mineral in the first place to determine the nature of its constituents. These being known, we can form a plan of an analysis by means of which we can separate and estimate in succession the amount of each constituent of the mineral. Now a judicious use of the blowpipe often enables us to determine the nature of the constituents in a few minutes, and thus saves the trouble of the preliminary analysis the blowpipe is a tube employed by goldsmiths in soldering by means of it they force the flame of a candle or lamp against any particular point which they wish to heat this enables them to solder trinkets of various kinds without affecting any other part except the portion which is required to be heated Cronstedt and angstrom first thought of applying this little instrument to the examination of minerals a small fragment of the mineral to be examined not nearly so large as the head of a pin was put upon a piece of charcoal, and the flame of a candle was made to play upon it by means of a blowpipe so as to raise it to a white heat. They observed whether it decrepitated, or was dissipated, or melted, and whatever the effect produced was, they were enabled from it to draw consequences respecting the nature of the mineral under examination. The importance of this instrument struck Bergman and induced him to wish for a complete examination of the action of the heat of the blowpipe upon all different minerals either tried per se upon charcoal or mixed with various fluxes for three different substances had been chosen as fluxes namely carbonate of soda borax and biphosphate of soda or at least what was in fact an equivalent for this last substance ammonio phosphate of soda or mycocosmic alt at that time, extracted from urine. This salt is a compound of one integrant particle of phosphate of soda and one integrant particle of phosphate of ammonia. When heated before the blowpipe, it fuses, and the water of crystallization, together with the ammonia, are gradually dissipated, so that at last nothing remains but biphosphate of soda. These fluxes have been found to act with considerable energy on most minerals the carbonate of soda readily fuses with those that contain much silica while the borax and biphosphate of soda act most powerfully on the bases not sensibly affecting the silica which remains unaltered in the fused bead a mixture of borax and carbonate of soda upon charcoal in general enables us to reduce the metallic oxides to the state of metals provided we understand the way of applying the flame properly bergmann employed gahn who was at that time his pupil and whose skill he was well acquainted with to make the requisite experiments the result of these experiments was drawn up into a paper which Bergman sent to baron Born in seventeen seventy seven and they were published by him at vienna in seventeen seventy nine this valuable publication threw a new light upon the application of the blowpipe to the assaying of minerals and for everything new which it contained bergman was indebted to gon who had made the experiments john gottlieb gon the intimate friend of bergman and of scheele was one of the best informed men and one whose manners were the most simple unaffected and pleasing of all the men of science with whom i ever came in contact I spent a few days with him at Fallon in 1812, and they were some of the most delightful days that I ever passed in my life. His fund of information was inexhaustible, and was only excelled by the charming simplicity of his manners, and by the benevolence and goodness of heart which beamed in his countenance. He was born on the 17th of August, 1745, at the Waxna Ironworks in South Helsingland, where his father, Hans Jacob Gahn was treasurer to the government of Stora Kopparberg. His grandfather, or great-grandfather, he told me, had emigrated from Scotland, and he mentioned several families in Scotland to which he was related. After completing his school education at Westras, he went in the year 1760 to the University of Uppsala. He had already shown a decided bias toward the study of chemistry, mineralogy, and natural philosophy, and like most men of science in Sweden, where philosophical instrument makers are scarcely to be found, he had accustomed himself to handle the different tools and to supply himself in that manner with all the different pieces of apparatus which he required for his investigations. He seems to have spent nearly ten years at Uppsala, during which time he acquired a very profound knowledge in chemistry and made various important discoveries which his modesty or his indifference to fame made him allow others to pass as their own the discovery of the rhomboidal nucleus of carbonate of lime in a six-sided prism of that mineral which he let fall and which was accidentally broken constitutes the foundation of howey's system of crystallization he communicated the fact to bergman who published it as his own in the second volume of his Opuscula, without any mention of gon's name the earth of bones had been considered as a peculiar simple earth, but Gahn ascertained by analysis that it was a compound of phosphoric acid and lime, and this discovery he communicated to Scheele, who, in his paper on fluorospar, published in 1771, observed, in the 17th section in which he is describing the effect of phosphoric acid on fluorospar, it has lately been discovered that the earth of bones or of horns is calcareous earth combined with phosphoric acid in consequence of this remark in which the name of gone does not appear it was long supposed that Scheele and not gone was the author of this important discovery it was during this period that he demonstrated the metallic nature of manganese and examined the properties of the metal this discovery was announced as his at the time by bergman and was almost the only one of the immense number of new facts which he had ascertained that was publicly known to be his on the death of his father he was left in rather narrow circumstances which obliged him to turn his immediate attention to mining and metallurgy to acquire a practical knowledge of mining he associated with the common miners and continued to work like them till he had acquired all the practical dexterity and knowledge which actual labor could give. In 1770 he was commissioned by the College of Mines to institute a course of experiments with a view to improve the method of smelting copper at Fallon. The consequence of this investigation was a complete regeneration of the whole system so as to save a great deal both of time and fuel. Sometime after, he became a partner in some extensive works at Stora Copperberg, where he settled as a superintendent. From 1770, when he first settled at Fallon, down to 1785, he took a deep interest in the improvement of the chemical works in that place and neighborhood. He established manufactories of sulfur, sulfuric acid, and red ochre in seventeen eighty the royal college of mines as a testimony of their sense of the value of gahn's improvements presented him with a gold medal of merit in seventeen eighty two he received a royal patent as mining master in seventeen eighty four he was appointed assessor in the royal college of mines in which capacity he officiated as often as his other vocations permitted him to reside in stockholm the same year, he married Anna Maria Bergstrom, with whom he enjoyed for 31 years a life of uninterrupted happiness. By his wife, he had a son and two daughters. In the year 1773, he had been elected chemical stipendiary to the Royal College of Mines, and he continued to hold this appointment till the year 1814. During the whole of this period, the solution of almost every difficult problem remitted to the college devolved upon him. In seventeen ninety five, he was chosen a member of the Committee for Directing the General Affairs of the Kingdom. In eighteen ten, he was made one of the Committee for the General Maintenance of the Poor. In eighteen twelve, he was elected an active associate of the Royal Academy for Agriculture, and in eighteen sixteen, he became a member of the committee for organizing the plan of a mining institute in 1818 he was chosen a member of the committee of the mint but from this situation he was shortly after at his own request permitted to withdraw his wife died in 1815 and from that period his health which had never been robust visibly declined nature occasionally made an effort to shake off the disease but it constantly returned with increasing strength until in the autumn of eighteen eighteen the decay became more rapid in its progress and more decided in its character he became gradually weaker and on the eighth of december eighteen eighteen died without a struggle and seemingly without pain ever after the experiments on the blowpipe which gahn performed at the request of bergman his attention had been turned to that piece of apparatus and during the course of a long life he had introduced so many improvements that he was enabled, by means of the blowpipe, to determine in a few minutes the constituents of almost any mineral. He had gone over almost all the mineral kingdom, and determined the behavior of almost every mineral before the blowpipe, both by itself, and when mixed with the different fluxes and reagents which he had invented for the purpose of detecting the different constituents but from his characteristic unwillingness to commit his observations and experiments to writing, or to draw them up into a regular memoir, had not Berzelius offered himself as an assistant, they would probably have been lost. By his means, a short treatise on the blowpipe, with minute directions how to use the different contrivances which he had invented, was drawn up and inserted into the second volume of Berzelius's Chemistry. Berzelius and he afterwards examined all the minerals known, or at least which they could procure, before the blowpipe, and the result of the whole constituted the materials of Berzelius's treatise on the blowpipe, which has been translated into German, French, and English. It may be considered as containing the sum of all the improvements which Gahn had made on the use of the blowpipe, together with all the facts that he had collected respecting the phenomena exhibited by minerals before the blowpipe it constitutes an exceedingly useful and valuable book and ought to make a part of the library of every analytical chemist dr wollaston had paid as much attention to the blowpipe as gone and had introduced so many improvements into its use that he was able by means of it to determine the nature of the constituents of any mineral in the course of a few minutes he was fond of such analytical experiments and was generally applied to by every person who thought himself possessed of a new mineral in order to be enabled to state what its constituents were the london mineralogist if the race be not extinct must sorely feel the want of the man to whom they were in the habit of applying on all occasions and to whom they never applied in vain dr william hyde wollaston was the son of the reverend dr wollaston a clergyman of some rank in the church of england and possessed of a competent fortune he was a man of abilities and rather eminent as an astronomer his grandfather was the celebrated author of the religion of nature delineated Dr. William Hyde Wollaston was born about the year 1767, and was one of fifteen children who all reached the age of manhood. His constitution was naturally feeble, but by leading a life of the strictest sobriety and abstemiousness, he kept himself in a state fit for mental exertion. He was educated at Cambridge, where he was at one time a Fellow. After studying medicine by attending the hospitals and lectures in london and taking his degree of doctor at cambridge he settled at Bury st edmunds where he practiced as a physician for some years he then went to london became a fellow of the royal college of physicians and commenced practitioner in the metropolis a vacancy occurring in st george's hospital he offered himself for the place of physician to that institution but another individual whom he considered his inferior in knowledge and science having been preferred before him he threw up the profession of medicine altogether and devoted the rest of his life to scientific pursuits his income in consequence of the large family of his father was of necessity small in order to improve it he turned his thoughts to the manufacture of platinum in which he succeeded so well that he must have by means of it realized considerable sums it was he who first succeeded in reducing it into ingots in a state of purity and fit for every kind of use it was employed in consequence for making vessels for chemical purposes and it is to its introduction that we are to ascribe the present accuracy of chemical investigations it has been gradually introduced into the sulfuric acid manufactories as a substitute for glass retorts dr wollaston had a particular turn for contriving pieces of apparatus for scientific purposes his reflecting goniometer was a most valuable present to mineralogists, and it is by its means that crystallography has acquired the great degree of perfection which it has recently exhibited he contrived a very simple apparatus for ascertaining the power of various bodies to refract light his camera lucida furnished those who were ignorant of drawing with a convenient method of delineating natural objects his periscopic glasses must have been found useful for they sold rather extensively and his sliding rule for chemical equivalents furnished a ready method for calculating the proportions of one substance necessary to decompose a given weight of another dr wollaston's knowledge was more varied and his taste less exclusive than any other philosopher of his time except mr cavendish but optics and chemistry are the two sciences which lie under the greatest obligations to him his first chemical paper on urinary calculi at once added a vast deal to what had been previously known he first pointed out the constituents of the mulberry calculi showing them to be composed of oxalate of lime and animal matter he first distinguished the nature of the triple phosphates it was he who first ascertained the nature of the cystic oxides and of the chalk stones which appear occasionally in the joints of gouty patients to him we owe the first demonstration of the identity of galvanism and common electricity and the first explanation of the cause of the different phenomena exhibited by galvanic and common electricity to him we are indebted for the discovery of palladium and rhodium and the first account of the properties and characters of these two metals he first showed that oxalic acid and potash unite in three different proportions constituting oxalate binoxalate and quadroxalate of potash Many other chemical facts, first ascertained by him, are to be found in the numerous papers of his scattered over the last 40 volumes of the Philosophical Transactions, and perhaps not the least valuable of them is his description of the mode of reducing platinum from the raw state and bringing it into the state of an ingot. Dr. Wollaston died in the month of January 1829, in consequence of a tumor formed in the brain near if i remember right the thalami nervosum opticorum there is reason to suspect that this tumor had been some time in forming he had without exception the sharpest eye that i have ever seen he could write with a diamond upon glass in a character so small that nothing could be distinguished by the naked eye but a ragged line yet when the letters were viewed through a microscope they were beautifully regular and quite legible. He retained his senses to almost the last moment of his life. When he lay apparently senseless and his friends were anxiously solicitous whether he still retained his understanding, he informed them by writing that his senses were still perfectly entire. Few individuals ever enjoyed a greater share of general respect and confidence or had fewer enemies than Dr. Wollaston. He was at first shy and distant, and remarkably circumspect, but he grew insensibly more and more agreeable as you got better acquainted with him, till at last you formed for him the most sincere friendship, and your acquaintance ended in the warmest and closest attachment. End of section 60